Welcome back to the Clown Hospital Podcast, the mental health podcast that is not afraid to admit that Bill W is the problem. (laughs) (laughs) And I am Sadie, and you just heard them laugh. My friend Frank is here to talk about I guess how I'll like this is like our 12 step crit episode. Yeah, hi guys. Like What's Sadie the- said, my name's Frank. I'm also very critical of 12 steps. <laughs> Hell yeah. Yeah, I mean, you've been on the show a few times before, but I guess for this conversation specifically, like what what's the setup? What has made wh- why am I talking to you about this topic? Yeah, so Like I said, my name is Frank. I am on September 3rd. I will have three whole years since touching ketamine. Um, Oh, yeah. Which is amazing. Never thought that I would see that happen. Yeah. So I've been an avid substance user, substance abuser since I was like 14 years old. I've had multiple inpatient hospitalizations since then, and nearly all of them, they all, like, had me doing 12 steps or some variety, variation of it. And it just kind of, like, colored my perspective on what recovery was supposed to look like. Like, I thought 12 steps was the only option for, like, until, until, like, a year or two ago. Yeah, I mean that that is like that is like one of the biggest problems is like that the problem is like AA twelve step whatever is like so big and like so omnipresent and like so ubiquitous that like that people very really very like seriously believe like over and over again that there's no other options and I remember like going. The last time I went to the, the hospital, like, um, like they, they literally just, like, wrote on my papers, like, like, for, we didn't even really uh, talk um, aftercare plan, which is, like, <laughs> ir- like, extremely irresponsible, but I think, but, uh, like, they just said, like, go to AA at, like, 56th and like walnut or whatever the fuck and i was like what we no (laughs) i'm not doing that like i you know i no one was forcing me to go but like that was also why i didn't go to rehab or part of it was like i already heard so many 12-step horror stories like from trans women and i like am very convinced that like you're a trans woman like you can't go to a 12-step meeting without getting sexually harassed and i'm sure that's like probably not true but like uh no literally the rooms are so transphobic even in na yeah and well it's like in philly you at least get to go to uh like queer specific meetings but like i would not like i would like if i even if i was like super desperate for like support like in person, I would not go to NA. Because it's like, I, th- I think I made this joke to you before, but it's like serious. Like, um, it's like, oh, the people, if I go to the rooms, I'm going to go meet the people I've been fighting with on Facebook. Like, yeah. <laughs> like all the miserable alcoholics, like <laughs> calling people like slurs for trans women from like the 30s and that'd be like trans people didn't exist until 2005 
They're like, shut up, you're a dry drunk. (laughs) (laughs) A dry drunk is the craziest accusation I think I've ever heard come out of the rooms. Like, and for those for those listeners, for those of you at home who don't know what a dry drunk is, a dry drunk is an alcoholic who abstains from alcohol but doesn't go to meetings. So it's like you could be sober. You could be totally sober, but because you don't go to meetings and like swallow the, the dogma, you're a dry drunk. That well, yeah. So <laughs> cool. Well, like you, hey, we're just like jumping into it. Like so, in, in our notes, you wrote the twelve steps so we can like you know maybe say our piece on some of them. And I just added at the end like the slogans and like one of there's a few I really hate, but like also it's like you work if you it works if you work it. It's like it's the same thing of like, oh, you think this doesn't work? Like you don't come to meetings or whatever. Well, it only works if you if you do it. But it's like there are people who do it and then like fucking like die. <laughs> like, yeah. So like it's all about like this like you're if if the program isn't working for you, it is your problem. And then like also similar like jails, institutions, and death. Yes. Like that's the same thing as like. The like, oh, like you're basically an alcoholic because you don't go to meetings. It's like, and, and like that's like the the question that I have in there, like, is like, is twelve step a cult? And like the one thing is like, just, like that jails, institutions, and death, like, is probably one of the more like well, like more iconic slogans. Like the idea being like, if you don't like submit to the 12 steps uh the options are jails institutions and death and um like that's just like classic abuse tactic like absolutely you're nothing without me like no one else is gonna love you like your life is gonna like self-destruct without me like that's just straight up abuse and like even look at step one like we admitted that we were powerless over our addiction and that our lives had become unmanageable. Like, uh, like that's the first thing that they tell you is just like, you're nothing, you know, like you have your, like you've exhausted all anything that's that you're capable of. You're powerless. Like that's like cult conditioning. Absolutely. Yeah. Cause like my answer to the question of like, is it a cult is like, well, I don't think it's like real like I don't think that framework is like that useful because it just triggers defensiveness when you use it. But like, yes. <laughs> if you put a gun to my head, I'm like, yeah, it is like it is all about you just gotta submit and fall on and there's like no other options. And it's so it's so dangerous when like it's an option that seems to have like a a low success rate that is like covered up partially by like just like the the bias of it's like oh you see the people who are like coming and like staying in meetings and 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 having long-term recovery but you're not seeing but you don't you just don't see the people who disappear and like overdose because like or kill themselves because they relapse and like can't deal with the shame of going back again like to another fucking meeting where everyone's like gonna call them like a chronic fucking relapser and shit. 
Is that the is that the big book? No. <laughs> oh my god, I do not have that on hand. Um, but this is, this is I am currently paging through trying to find the twelve step chapter. Um, it's called Unbroken Brain. Uh, it's really good. It's about like understanding addiction as a learning disorder, and it's so good. But I wanted to pull this up because because you brought up like being powerless this is very scattered already but <laughs> who cares it's fine I, I love this first sentence here further the 12-step idea of powerlessness is disempowering like yeah okay you don't say <laughs> research shows that the, the more someone believes in the idea that addiction is a disease over which he is powerless the worse and more frequent a person's relapses tend to be. While some people can interpret being powerless in a benign way, others decide that it means they have no control, not just over drugs, but also over multiple spheres in their lives, including political action. This can be particularly damaging to women and members of minority groups who are already faced with far too much powerlessness and do not have anything of the overweening sense of entitlement it was intended to address in the white man who designed it. Wow. And like, if you ever bring any of that shit up, you're, they're like, you're bringing in outside issues that you're getting political. Yeah, cool. You, you're just pressing all my buttons early. And that's why it's so scattered. Because <laughs> I just, I'm just getting triggered over and over again. Thanks, Frank. <laughs> Well, like, and then in uh, this author's other book that I read, Maya Spalovitz, uh Undoing Drugs, she talks about, um, like, how in the 80s, people would have HIV from IV drug use, and then they would bring up their HIV in, like, NA meetings and be like, don't talk, don't bring up the outside issues. Wow. <laughs> it's like how is this like an outside issue <laughs> like well first of all it is inside me right now <laughs> um and like it's literally related to my use like what like it's it's honeybee just keeps stomping on my keyboard uh and it's causing problems but uh <laughs> Yeah, and you, like, like, what is deemed as political or what is deemed as, as outside issues? And, like, for, like, the listener, like, you know, one of, like, the traditions, I think, is, like, no, outside issues, and that often means, like, politics. And it's one of my least favorite ones. And, but, but it's, like, who, like, who decides what is political and what isn't? And who decides what's an inside-outside issue and what's not? Like, the, the, the deciding of why thing, like, one thing as political and the, another thing as not. Like, you know, like, a, like, fucking gamers, like, when, like, they get to play as fucking, like, John McGunnface, like, and then, like, who's a white guy, and then, like, they change him to a black guy, and they're like, this is politics, and you're like, <laughs> it's both yeah. politics, like, <laughs> and, like, so, 
and like that and what you said is like if you bring up issues as like a like a like you know if you're like a trans woman in a group and people are being weird about it or like or just like you you notice that you're the only trans person in the room and that provokes certain anxieties like that's an outside issue even though like it is like directly in, impacting your the experience you're having inside the meeting 100 percent. and then like also it's like substance use itself is like like in like the drug war like substance use is a political fucking issue and like also like politics impacts our fucking personal lives like like i talk about trans shit a lot in meetings because it's like not because i'm trying to like turn everyone in my meetings trans but because like it's a major thing that in impacts my life my mental health and thus also my relationships to like compulsive behaviors yeah absolutely well do do you want to tell me some of your your least favorite slogans yeah um do the next right thing Mm -hmm. is that is that one of them the next right thing yeah hate that oh my god um uh it works if you work it yeah you already covered that Mm -hmm. um that sounds like euphemistic too yeah (laughs) yeah these these slogans really are super euphemistic Just like go jack off. <laughs> That's what that means. Literally. <laughs> yeah, don't you know? Don't we all know about the 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 secret AA fellowship? That's just a circle jerk. <laughs> hey, I'd I'd go to twelve step meetings if it was a circle jerk. <laughs> That's the twelfth step. <laughs> Is to carry the message of a hand job to the dick next to you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, to clarify, I don't know anything about secret AA circle jerks. Uh, it is a joke. It's not sand slander. <laughs> Thanks. N A A A or the secret third thing. <laughs> <laughs> Circle Jerk Anonymous. That's what, yeah, I always, uh, I always thought it was Cocaine Anonymous. <laughs> okay. the, uh, no, I'm so stoned that I thought S started with a C. I'm sorry. It's okay. We're... <laughs> yeah, the, the very chaotic episode. Uh... <laughs> oh, brother. What about the, the steps? Yeah, so... Well, yeah, let's, before we get into the steps, let's talk about the origins. So I did do a little bit of homework. AA started in 1935 with Bill Wilson and Dr. Bob Smith. I think they just called him Bill W. and Dr. Bob. So they were like commiserating on campus. And I guess they started a meeting. And then like 20 years later, they had like published a book that was like, the the predecessor to the, the big book that was basically saying, 
here's how Alcoholics Anonymous has helped a hundred other alcoholics. And um, so, yeah, when they got to the 12 steps, uh, we can, we want to read off one by one <laughs> what the steps are. Sure. All right. So, yeah, we touched on number one, which was we admitted we were powerless over our addiction, that our lives had become unmanageable. We came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Number two. Number three, that we made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. This makes me feel like I'm in a meeting. <laughs> I know. Yeah, you know what? Let's pause. Let's pause and let's focus on where it gets weird. We can okay. skip ahead. So um, here's where it gets weird. Step four, we made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Mm -hmm. What does that mean, Frank? So... Um, Basically, you, like, go through your own character defects and stuff. Mm -hmm. And, like, uh, I can't remember, like, because I, like, I got, I, I quote, unquote, relapsed by the time I was doing step four. My sponsor made me go back to step one. So, like, I never fully completed this. What does, quote, unquote, relapse mean? So, okay. This was so stupid. So, I feel I like I've heard this story before, but. Yeah, so for you well, listeners at home, I was in recovery for, I was at like approaching my nine months and I was at a lunch with my bosses and they ordered a bottle of wine and I didn't know how to say, I, I was saying like, oh, I don't really like wine, like that I was just trying to say that, but like my boss was kind of go to me. He's like, no, I think you'll really like this one. He's like a huge wine guy. And was like, uh, I think you'll like the taste. So I had a taste of the wine, right? Like, it wasn't even a full glass. Like, I had, like, such a minuscule amount. And I told my sponsor, and she said that I relapsed. So uh, even though alcohol wasn't my drug of choice, it's ketamine. Like, even though... It's a great sip, Frank. Yeah, like, she was just like, you know, you're not taking your recovery seriously. Like alcohol is a drug period that's also an na saying that i hate like alcohol is a drug period but anyway she was like so condescending and horrible to me and yeah i never finished step four yeah well like alcohol is a drug is true but it like the the implication like that is that like you can't touch any drugs at all but like lots of people do and are fine like you know people have all sorts of different relationships but like you might be like becoming an alcoholic when you're in recovery for something or you might just like have a sip of wine with dinner sometimes or like have a glass like with dinner sometimes and that's like fine as long like like the point is like like wanting to make your life manageable like you don't yeah but yes, something to understand about like 100,000% where you can't even have a sip like out of courtesy like it's but that's ridiculous. That's something to understand about 12 steps is that they're so dogmatic and totalitarian in their views that like no you cannot even have like a drop, you know. It's it's Like, yeah, it is, yeah, it's so, it's so dogmatic. Like, it's just, like, 
like there's like such like addicts come in like all different shapes and sizes and whatever like and the solution is like gonna be different like and then it's just like no you can't you can't be on mat you can't like drink alcohol even if you're not an alcoholic you can't smoke weed like you can't even take fucking psych meds like for people who are like really intense it's like Denying yeah, like, options to people will not save them. Yeah, like they like made a stink about like me being on like uh benzos too, being prescribed benzos. I hate that shit. Well, then they're like, well, like then you can't say you're sober then. And it's like, well, like maybe sobriety isn't my goal. Like maybe like man, like, you know, my life being manageable is and like and I don't necessarily see complete sobriety as, like, the way I get there. Like, if I didn't smoke weed, like, I would be, like, a mess at all times. Not because I'm dependent on weed, but because I have, like, PTSD that can be, like, super fucking debilitating. Yeah. Like, they seem to, like, make it's like 12 steps seems to be perfect if you're like not if you're neurotypical you know like uh but there's tons of neurodivergent people i've met in the rooms but they like stuff themselves into a box that's like clearly not working um like just to say like oh yeah i'm x and so so yeah and yeah which is like recovery and like addiction like, like it's such a like complex and multifaceted problem that like to put one solution to it is like horrible yeah but yeah step four i also like that is also where i i didn't even start it i didn't even like read the chapter or whatever <laughs> but just because it has like such a reputation of like this is this is the one that like so this is like like the this is like the first one that really fucking sucks. I mean, I would say the earlier ones suck too if you have religious trauma. Yeah, that makes sense. That was something I was trying to explain to my former sponsor, but she was like, "Well, a chair could be your higher power." Like the like, don't you hate that shit? I don't even know what that means. But like, that's like the default, like, uh, like anything can be your higher power. Like the rooms can be your higher power. The people can be your higher power. I'm like, fuck. Like, it yeah, just well, doesn't make sense. I've had like a friend describe it to me and like this, like this, I get like more than like the, a chair can be your higher power. Like, cause I don't. I don't understand what that means, like, in function. Um, but, like, the way she described it was, like, it's just, like, recognizing, like, that you're part of something, like, bigger than yourself. And that you're not the center of the universe. And, like, that, I think, is fine. But, like, what does it mean, like, that chair is your higher, like, what, like, it? it is just, like, oh, you're not a Christian. Well, so, like... Here, let's like rewrite Christianity, but God is a chair. Because it's like the like the <laughs> framework is very much steeped in Christianity. And so like it's just like, oh, like just get over the hurdle of you not being a Christian and just like 
put something in there so we can force it on you anyway. Yeah. And interesting to know, this is where I love talking about LSD. Um, <laughs> so Bill W. actually first did acid with Aldous Huxley in the 50s. And uh, when that he That sounds did, like an interesting night. <laughs> I know. And when he did so, he was making notes that was like, oh, this would be perfect for, you know, the seeker who wants a spiritual experience, but like can't overcome the hurdle of like believing in God. Like this is perfect. But like he was met with a lot of criticism from like an AA leadership that he like retired the LSD studies. That is it, so crazy. Like. Like, to get bitten by the dogmatism of your own, like, program is, like, insane. It's, like, so wild to me. Right? <laughs> it, and, like, even, like, what, like, 20 years within, like, the like the, the lifespan of this program, they're, like, we can't have any new ideas. <laughs> like, we already, like, read, like, the Sermon on the Mount or whatever, and then turn that into an entire program. I might be confusing another thing with another cult, but um, I am. Uh, but like, we're just going to shove all this in there and then we can't have any new ideas at all. Like we can't, it's like, I don't know. I respect that he was like thinking of options and like shit. And then, and then was just shut down. And then to this day, it's like, you can't even like touch that other stuff at all. like the rule is. Uh, and it's funny that he kind of got like bit on his own shit. And then, <laughs> and then what I've realized is, you know, a lot of these fellowship, like, like I've heard so many stories of people who like smoke weed or do alcohol in moderation or whatever, or even just like relapse, like they won't say it in a meeting. In like a 12 set meeting. And and that made me realize is like they are preaching complete and total sobriety, but like there are less like completely sober people in that room than like you're supposed to like believe or assume. Absolutely. Like she drinks like on the weekends and like she he smokes weed and he like is like real out suppose like trying to be low-key about it because like you know it might not be a thing uh whatever like it, it's all a facade like no one is actually like not no one but like very few but there's def- i don't know what the what the number is but there yeah. is a limit on and the people who are actually fitting into this dogmatism and like it's so hard to gather data because it's anonymous you know like uh but of some data i did find like a large number points to an efficacy rate of between five and ten percent and like yeah like so and in that five to ten percent, it was those people stayed sober after a year, but the number drops like the more years you go along. Let's see. 
Alcoholics Anonymous, however, surveys their own members, and their survey of 6,500 members in the U.S. and Canada showed that 35% of its members stayed sober for more than five years, 34% stayed sober for one to five years, and 31% were sober for less than one year. And even by their own self-reporting, those numbers are kind of abysmal. Like, that, yeah, that's crazy that even, like, of course, like, their numbers are, like, significantly better, but they're also, like, but that's only because the other numbers are, like, just absurdly small. And, like, like, yeah, 35% for, like, a program that is touted as, like, the solution and there are no others to only have a 30%, like, 30 to 35% efficacy rate is, like, that's like mind blowing. <laughs> and then you're told that like it's the only thing that works. That's it's it's so it's cruel. It's all like it's it, they they actually it seems like they promote like just like leader or membership rather than like actual survival. Oh, 100%. And like when we're in like treatment centers like, where do they tell us to go? They they point us to 12-step meetings, you know? Yeah. Like, it's, or uh, if you're court-mandated rehab, like, or you're court-mandated uh, a program, you're, like, court-mandated a 12-step program, even though, like, so many, like, other, like, judicial president precedents have shown that that's unconstitutional. Yes, because, uh, yeah, it's a separate, it, it, like, it violates separation of church and state to force someone to do like a religious program and like even if your higher power is a chair like it is still like based in christianity <laughs> and so it to like it's like <laughs> it's it's like once of away from oh like you stole some catalytic conver converters and then got caught with some heroin on you like go to church <laughs> like like they you like no um and like something that that she says a lot in in this book is like, well at least in this chapter of this book is like, no other like, me, like all right. So if addiction is a disease, why do we do we why do we treat it so differently from every other disease? We don't treat cancer with like go to church. Well, sometimes we do, and it doesn't always work. Um, or like treat your depression by going to church or like whatever or like treat your schizophrenia by admitting that you're like a bad person and like your pain is your fault. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like it's, it's a really like bizarre way of moralizing something that they purport is a disease, you know? Yes. And it's, and like, I don't necessarily follow the disease model of addiction. It's, you know, like substance use disorder is like, yeah, it's a disorder, but like disease, you know, like, I don't know. Yeah, well, this book is like that I, I read is all about understanding as an, a learning disorder, which I really like that framework. And like the idea is just like, if you're like traumatized or neurodivergent in some way, like particularly like autistic or uh, like ADHD, it like it's been like abused neglected you are more likely to have like these big 
emotions and then also more likely than not have the skills to navigate those emotions. So then when you find the skill that that gets you through those emotions, that skill being like substance use, you then like overlearn it. You then like, oh, like I'm in crisis. I know how to calm myself down. Um, and then it, it becomes, it just becomes really hard to learn anything else because like nothing hits as hard <laughs> as like a drug, like breathing, like pacing your breath, <laughs> like meditating, like doesn't, it doesn't hit the way like a drug does, you know? Oh yeah. You know, something else about 12 steps that I realized wasn't on the notes, but totally should be. Yes. Um, None of these people are mental health professionals. Some of them might be like on their own yeah. and they just going to be in 12 steps. But like the qualification to be a sponsor that you that you've had at least a year clean and have worked the 12 steps yourself. Mm-hmm. Like, are you fucking kidding me? Like that is like that gives you no authority to know, like to speak on something that could be really traumatic for me. Or like, you know, or like making me do something really traumatic, like the ninth step, which is going back to people I've harmed and like apologizing to them or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like it like, like literally reconciliation, like on the just on the point of like it's based in Christianity. Yeah. Like it would require like some people to like apologize to their own assailant. Like it's like really fucked. Yeah, exactly. Like, you know, you think of like quote unquote like reactive abuse, uh, which like you know, someone like hurting their abuser abuser is not abusive, it's defensive. Um, but it's like if you're in that situation and you do that, exactly exactly what you're saying is like oh i hit my boyfriend who beat the shit out of me so i have to go apologize to him like no fuck that and like uh, like to be fair there will be people who say like you know do that within like your safety but yeah like i just no there's no way (laughs) like and also to trust a like some condescending stranger over this like you know like like i believe in secrets <laughs> <laughs> yeah there like there are you know secrets and and even like quote unquote lies that like you know need to be kept for fucking safety someone's gonna <laughs> bring like bring this to a meeting and be like these fucking stoners like just like are all over the fucking place <laughs> <laughs> oh man well we can't talk about the 12 steps without talking about the 13th step yo yeah exactly um i have another quote uh for the 13th step um so the 13th step basically means it means like a an older member like it's taking advantage of someone who is like or like new to the program and early in their recovery. Usually sexually, but it can also be like financially, etc. One study found that 50% of women in AA had experienced behavior 
once again, 50% of women in AA had experienced behavior often euphemized as the 13th step, in which men try to seduce or coerce women who are new to the program. I personally narrowly avoided being raped by a longtime AA member. I had trusted him in part because the program teaches implicitly that people who have many years in recovery are admirable. I know at least two women who are not so lucky. That's an insane statistic. Like, if you're in a, wo- a woman, like, according to the statistic, like, what, you know, may or may not be the reality. Uh, but, you know, we, is a educated guess. You, like, the, like, you just, like, if you're a woman in 12 step, you just have to fucking flip a coin if you're going to get raped or not, or not, like, not necessarily raped, but, like, at least, like, targeted by, like, this, like, predatory behavior. Yeah. Like, that's... It's it's like unacceptable. Do you think someone like ever outed their abuser, like who was in meeting, and they were like outside issues? <laughs> oh my god! I can't say that that happened, but yeah, it's just fucking horrifying. Like it it is just like I don't know. And then to be told like this is the one solution, and then. Like, imagine being told that this is the one solution, going to a meeting, and then, like, your, like, sponsor sexually assaulting you. Dude. And Or, like, you're court-mandated. Yeah. It's, like, so fucking dangerous. And if you dare criticize it, it's, like, you're deemed as dangerous. My best friend was court-mandated um, 12 Steps. And she like she connected with someone who tried to 13th step her like made her super uncomfortable like had her meet him at like the at the recovery house alone and was like she was like so skeeved out and like made a complaint about it but like nothing ever happened yeah and it's like what is like you know i would say like one of the first steps for recovery would actually be like a sense of safety and like when like 13 stepping is like you know t- is like such a well-known phenomenon within the program and outside of it it's fucking it would be laughable if it wasn't so fucking scary and didn't have such a real impact on like real people who are already in like precarious situations and then are taking advantage of people who just have who are given authority just because they have like seven years or one year or two years, whatever. And not because like there's someone who under who actually has an understanding of these issues. Because they don't necessarily have an understanding on the issues. It's they have an understanding on the rules. Yeah. And then well, the other thing, how do you feel about like the rules to like not crosstalk? I I have mixed feelings about them because sometimes I do appreciate it because I've been in smart meetings where like people just like interrupt for like the craziest things and you're just like what the fuck <laughs> uh, you know like but I do appreciate like crosstalk when it's like hey I you mentioned really struggling with this something that's helped me a lot was this hope it helps 
you know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think, yeah, you know, you can, you can allow for conversation as long as like, you know, it's like polite and appropriate, you know, to, to some reasonable expectation. Uh, but yeah, it like, you know, the thing that, like, turned me away from 12-step is, like, I was in an Al- Al-Anon meeting, and I was, like, oh, yeah, like, I, like, attempted suicide, like, three days ago, and then I got fucking nothing but thanks for sharing. Wow. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. In, like, a room of, like, you know, a decent amount of people. Um, and it's, like, yeah, it's horrible. Like, yeah, like, the conversation needs to be moderated in some way, for sure. But it's, it feels like, like, one, like, my central, like, complaint, or one of my central complaints on 12-step is that it seems, like, particularly designed to, like, inhibit like substance users addicts whatever like from like organizing as a political class like with the no politics rules like with the like you know the way like it's very much grounded in this like white male christianity um yeah and then also like you can't have a fucking conversation and like you're in these in this room where people like like may be to some extent understand like what you're going through and then you can't even like and yeah if you're like I don't want advice on this I just want to vent like and then they respect people respect I think that's great like but to like put a blanket rule on it um I think is like super isolating and like that's that's how it felt to me it was like I am this I'm in this place where I'm told like my feelings matter and then like I reveal something I say something super vulnerable that I'm like not really recovered from and I like no one can even say like I hope you're okay like it's so fucking like it's fucking traumatizing yeah Yeah, it definitely goes back to it being, like, guided by no professionals. Like, it has to be moderated in some way. Yeah, like, there, there is, like, there is definitely something to peer support. Like, that is, like, what makes, like, these programs function. But, like, I don't know. There needs to be some, like, training or vetting uh, when you're putting people in positions of power that can, like, really fuck with people's safety. Yeah, like smart recovery makes you go through like a yeah, a training like, you know, that's comforting. Yeah. Yeah, you at least get some framework and like yeah, but hmm, just like the accountability can be super off. Um And yeah, like when all it takes to be a sponsor is like one year and you did the steps like you don't know who your sponsor is like your sponsor could be like like you could have sexual trauma and your sponsor's a rapist like 
but you're just like it's it's, it's just so dangerous like yeah a lot of times when you talk about like alternative meetings or within alternative meetings like the 12 step uh you know they'll like you know 12 step works for you like great and like I even I'm like why do we have to say that every time like like yeah if it works for you great but like the the way it doesn't work for people is like super traumatizing and dangerous yeah I agree. So it, it like I just don't like giving it any lip service at all because like for people who are marginalized, it often marginalizes us further. Yeah. But like I, I was I was in like I went to a morning group and something I really liked was the moderator went but like Someone would share, and then she'd be like, "Does anyone want to build on that?" And I and I love that. Like, just like, do you, like who wants to like run with like the ideas or feelings that per- that person is is having? Like, you know, like not necessarily advice, but like, what's your perspective? Like, I just think it's like it feels so much more communal to like have feedback, even if that feedback. <laughs> It's just like hugging emojis, like yeah, responding to what you're saying to like say something so vulnerable and to be met with like this like ice wall of like twenty faces on Zoom is like horrifying. You got any other thoughts, Frank, on this very strange <laughs> old <laughs> the place, very stoned episode? <laughs> Let's see. Mm, okay, one thing I did want to bitch about. Mm-hmm. Was the lack of masking in the rooms during uh, lockdown. And and like one time I told my sponsor I was attending online meetings. And she told me that those don't count for my 90 and 90. Because I physically need to be at all the meetings. And I was like, bro, we're in a pandemic. And she's like, no, we're not. That's like absurd. Like those two things in tandem is, again, so fucking dangerous. Where, like, you're in a pandemic, but people aren't masking in meetings, and then you're also telling people who, if you're doing a 90 and 90, who are in early fucking recovery, and telling them, like, go to this thing that will make you sick, and if you go to the version that will not make you sick physically, then it doesn't count? Like, what the fuck? It's like... The dogmatism is like so counterproductive and they like and people just refuse to admit it. It's infuriating. It, it's like amazing how bad my sponsor was. Yeah, you you've really you've really pulled out <laughs> dunks on the sponsor. Like and fair enough, because Jesus Christ, what the fuck? Yeah. Like be like having a year of recovery like just does it isn't doesn't necessarily make you like an authority. <laughs> like it's she like, she was like I think eight years in. Still. Like if you don't like, I don't know, if you haven't like I don't know. You can have eight years and like still only know your experience. 
and you know it worked for you and then you just assume that it was going to work for everyone else and it's like no yeah like if you want to be like someone who is like an expert on a topic you need to like explore all facets of it not find the one explanation that you like and then make that the rule for everyone else like that that isn't a full understanding it's a very limited understanding pretend for like pretending to be a full understanding yeah fuck your old sponsor yeah cool you got anything else let me think i might have one more topic actually no i think we got it all hell yeah I mean, I could talk about the actual cult that spawned out of AA. Oh, yeah. Let's talk about it. <laughs> so, this cult is called, it was, I don't know, I think it was in the, like, 70s and 80s, maybe. But it was, like, you know, the Minnesota model, which is 12-step, turned up to 11. Um, Synanon? Yeah. So, it's S-Y-N-A-N-O-N. And like what you know, like the like the classic horror stories of like of like a twelve step rehab of like we're gonna put you in the center of the shame circle and everyone's gonna yell at you and call you like a like a junkie like thief and like over and over again and that's somehow supposed to make you normal. <laughs> uh, they did shit like that. Yeah, so it's like a, it, it was a cult, well, it was known as a therapeutic community, um, was founded in 1958, um, and then it, like, became super popular because, like, someone was like, oh, like, Synanon cured my heroin addiction, and everyone was like, what the fuck, that's possible? So it became, like, very popular, so the fundamental idea of therapeutic communities is that people with addiction are so marred by character defects, a concept Synanon took from AA, that their personalities have to be completely broken down. This was originally accomplished in part by punishments like shunning, dunce caps, head shaving, forcing straight men to wear drag and women to dress as sex workers, and many other humiliating tactics. But the main tool was attack therapy, which Denning had seen in a mild form, which is just an example uh, earlier in the chapter. In many cases, these group attacks occurred in marathon groups that continued for hours or days without bathroom or food food breaks. Oh my god. And then it was like, although it now sounds hard to believe, once in a non-claim to have a heroin cure, state health and justice officials from across the U.S. immediately began copying it not waiting to study the outcomes. This resulted in the creation of programs like Walden, Phoenix House, Daytop, and Delancey Street, which dominated publicly funded treatment for addiction from the 70s through at least the early 2000s. Practices that would have been rejected as traumatic and abusive for other conditions were simply accepted for addiction. Yet another indicator of stigma and criminalization. Wow. I can't stop. Eventually, Synanon himself became proclaiming it was a church, hoarding guns and forcing them to have vasectomies. Even as juvenile even as juvenile justice systems around the country were mandating teens to participate in in it or go to jail, go to this fucking cult 
where they're gonna get you a vasectomy. Where they're gonna they're gonna fucking like make it like they're, they're gonna fucking eugenics you. In 1978, members placed a de-rattled rattlesnake in the mailbox of an attorney who, an attorney who had begun to win cases against it. The angry snake bit the lawyer, but fortunately, he survived. Soon, Sidanon's leader was convicted of conspiracy to commit murder for that attack. But, but by then, its many descendants in both addiction treatment and treatment for troubled teens were well established. And hundreds live on. Wow. It's fucking crazy. That's People insane. Cult? We're, we're court mandated. They're, they're cult mandated. Uh, <laughs> and like. I, I, I read this. I think maybe in her. Other book. Uh, but he was drunk when they arrested him. The leader of it. And it's like, you motherfuckers. Like, like it's like what I was saying before. Like, there's less completely sober people in the rooms than claim to be, which includes the cult, the like very, like the inarguably occult leaders. Oh, 100%. Yeah. So that's just like a fun fact, you know, like, yeah. So it, you know, it's not <laughs> like that's not active, and you know, treatment is better in a lot of places. But you know, still, it still definitely has a long way to go. But like, there's like real harm at risk within like the ideology of Holstead. Absolutely. It's it's very harmful, like group think cult behavior. Yeah. Yep. Cool. Well, I feel all satisfied. <laughs> Me too. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. All right. So I'll start gratitudes. I'm grateful for you coming on. I feel like this weird ass episode was a long time coming so yeah just thank you for coming hanging and i am also grateful i don't know book <laughs> i don't know I'm it, it make it just makes me feel super stoked to like pull out like books I'm reading, <laughs> like it makes me feel so professional. <laughs> Hell yeah, I'm grateful for you, Sadie. Grateful that you had me on. Of it's always better. I'm grateful for cannabis for giving me such a relaxing Sunday. Hell yeah, hell yeah. I feel like it's very like I am very rarely high for this podcast, but I think it's very. I'm themed to be high for this one because yeah. just as a fuck you. And that's probably like discrediting to the critics, but like I don't know if the critics are even listening, so it's fine. <laughs> cool. Uh if you want to follow the podcast on Instagram, it is Clown Hospital Pod. If you want to send us an email uh about how we're wrong. Um, if you want to make up your own 12 steps, you can send them to the email. 
at lgfupod at gmail.com. And with that, did, wait, did I say, did I say, did, did I say clownhospitalpod at gmail.com or did I say, I make up, I made up an email for the other podcast because we don't even have an email. Clownhospitalpod at gmail, I'm keeping that in. I can't keep track of my two podcasts. Um, at gmail.com, clownhospitalpod at gmail.com. Um, and with that, we say this is dedicated to all those uh, we've lost. And maybe continue healing and fighting on in their honor. 